Hey friend, welcome to the Live Well with Low podcast. I'm so excited you are here. We talk all things wellness, motherhood, holistic healing, faith, entrepreneurship, and anything else to help you pursue a life well-lived. Let's dive in. As we wrap up season one of the podcast, I'm so excited to bring on Dr. Noah Lubovitz. Dr. Noah is a functional medicine doctor who has spent his entire life learning and being exposed to natural healing modalities. Him and his father train practitioners all over their country with their unique approach to applied kinesiology and how to help the body heal from any type of chronic illness. We talk about so much in this episode, but we really go deep into mold toxicity and how to support your body in healing itself through mold and fungal detoxing. I'm so excited for you to hear this one. All right, Dr. Noah, welcome to the podcast. I'm so excited to have you on here. I have a lot of questions that I want to get through today. Um, And so, yeah, thank you for being here. I'm so grateful that you're sharing your time with us. I'd love to just get started with how did you get started in this line of work helping people heal from pretty much any ailment they may have? Um, You know, great question. I mean, in some ways, I guess I was directed into it following in my dad's footsteps. Um, I was never pushed into it, but it's what I ended up deciding doing. So, I mean, people ask, like, in some ways, I've been in this work for nine years. In other ways, I've been in it my whole life since I was born. Um, I love seeing the people, you know, if you break your arm, go to the ER. That's simple. But for the people that have been sick for 10, 20, 30 years, the people that have seen 10, 20, 30, 40, I think I had one patient that saw 53 doctors before finding me, you know, for helping those chronic people, that's really what I wanted to do. What, you know, when modern medicine has its time and its place, 100%, but it really fails on the chronic stuff. And that's what I really like to do of just helping people get better that have either lost hope or just haven't been able to find help um, so far. Mm, I love that. And so were you raised in a very holistic, natural living approach? Because that's what your dad did? 100%. I mean, definitely, you know, our look our outlook at health has changed over the years in terms of you know when I was born my parents I mean they're still hippies but they were vegetarian at the time so we were vegetarian for a while now I've you know we've all kind of shifted to much heavier meat eaters but you know growing up we would have salad for breakfast um my mom would grind her own organic wheat flour or we would literally hand roll oats to make oatmeal things like that which while we don't eat grains as much anymore, you know, everything was made from scratch, very simple, whole food. And that's how I've been raised and how I try to raise my kids now. I love that. So you decided I want to do, okay, dad, what you're doing. And so you, you're you a doctor of chiropractic care, correct? Or please tell me your credentials. Yes. So by license, I am a chiropractor. Um, I did okay. my four years in undergrad and then I did four years to become a doctor of chiropractor. I do work and do some structural work on patients, but most of my work is more nutritional based. Um, and that's why most of my clients are coming to see me. It's so interesting because I've seen a lot of chiropractors who now have their own functional medicine clinic. And I think it's it's so cool. What do you think drives people who study chiropractic care to then get into the more holistic, like full body approach? A great question. I mean, I think people that are going into chiropractic generally have a more holistic mindset and they want to get people healthier. They want to be healthier. Um, You know, it's interesting talking to this one chiropractor. He's, I think, 75. He's been a chiropractor for like 50 years and his dad was a chiropractor. And he said, you know, you don't see the same chiropractic miracles as you used to. Like, you know, you don't just adjust someone's thoracic spine and all their digestive symptoms go away in most cases. And I think that's because people are sicker than they used to be. Um, There's so many more toxins in the world world, our diet, chemicals, stress, EMFs, all of that. So people are a lot sicker than they used to be. And so people are trying to find more ways to get people healthier. I mean, originally, I'd thought about going to um, naturopathic school, since in some ways, it's a little bit more what I do. But their licensure laws were a little bit they're not as solidified. And I grew up in Colorado where they weren't even licensed at the time. And so that kind of pushed me into chiropractic because um, a basically very easy licensing laws in any state. That's super interesting. And I think it's it's so fascinating to me. I didn't don't want to like go down the rabbit hole because we totally could, but it's so fascinating to me how, you know, the MD term is so has such a huge like, you know, medical doctor. They're the ones that can prescribe the medicine and all of those things. But the people that I've been helped by the most, they are the people who the chiropractors, the acupuncturists, the people who are who are working in actual wellness. Um, 
And I just think that it's it's very interesting to me. The only people that have helped me actually feel well are not MDs. I don't know if I should say that on here, but <laughs> you know, I, I I actually did look at going to medical school. I had the grades. I took my MCAT. I was ready to apply. I still wanted to do natural medicine, but the problem with is if you're a medical doctor, it's much easier to get in trouble legally if you do natural stuff because you can help people. But if you do things that go against the grain and what you're traditionally supposed to do, you can actually get in trouble, which is what pushed me away from medical school just because it's almost easier to do what I do as a chiropractor than as a medical doctor. Wow. That's, that just shows how backward and twisted our system is right there. Uh, okay, let's go back into your chiropractor work. So you do applied kinesiology. Can you break that down a little bit? What is that? Because it's, you know, you're you're doing a lot more than just, you know, cracking people's back. Kind of explain the, exactly the full approach you do. Awesome. So, I mean, applied kinesiology, one thing a lot of people get confused of, they're like, oh, I took a kinesiology class in college. Um, completely different. People that do a kinesiology major, great degree that you can do, but completely different type of work. So applied kinesiology, um, and there's a lot of different aspects. I mean, it's basically seeing how the body moves, how it functions. And people do that in different realms. So from a structural standpoint, you know, if a patient comes in, I don't just, for like, say, a low back issue, I don't just adjust them and send them out the door. I want to know why is the low back not functioning correctly. I check a lot of muscle functions. A lot of the times people can strain a muscle from different things, and I do a lot more muscle work to get the muscles functioning properly, which then gets the bones working. What applied kinesiology is, though, in my mind, it's a diagnostic tool, and basically you see how the body responds to different stressors, and you measure those stressors by testing the body's neurological response with a muscle test. So that could be checking for, again, low back to see how your muscles are functioning. But then also, like, I remember my dad was working on a patient recently with a low back disc pain. He fixed all the muscles, fixed the bones, but then he found that, okay, if the person ate dairy, then all of those muscles were going to stop working again. So the psoas, the low back muscle strain that was going on was actually caused by a food sensitivity. So then if they took out the food, then the low back was able to heal. And again, it's kind of going back to the root cause. Something shouldn't keep recurring. If it does, that means you are missing what is actually causing it. Identify and correct. And that's what I use applied kinesiology for. That's so cool. So that was discovered through muscle testing that dairy was no good? Yes, it was. I mean, I had a patient, I remember she had a left tight upper shoulder, upper trapezius. And two years, she'd seen chiropractic, massage therapist, acupuncturist, nothing worked. So then I didn't want to do the same thing everyone else had done. So I fixed her left upper um, trap so it wasn't as tight. And then I tested her and I found that dairy would bring back the tightness in her. And I'm not against dairy on everyone, but for her, it showed up, took her off dairy, and literally within a couple days, her two years of tight shoulders were completely gone by avoiding a food. So Mm. a lot of the time, it's again looking for a root cause, and then that also helped lower inflammation and help other parts of her body. That's so cool. So when someone comes in, you know, and either people don't just come in for like back pain, right, at this point, they're coming in for all sorts of things. So they come in, and so you use the the alignment to kind of see what's out of sorts. And then you can use muscle testing to figure out the root cause of that. And you muscle test food. What else, what things can you muscle test? Great question. I mean, so most of my patients coming in to see me are coming in with thyroid issues. They're coming in with gut issues, irritable bowel syndrome, Crohn's disease. Um, You know, people are coming in with depression, with anxiety, insomnia, low energy, all things like that. And so basically, I look at what I consider some of the biggest stressors on the body. And I use a protocol that was been developed by my dad. He's been doing it and teaching it for close to almost 40 years now. And some of the biggest stressors and things that I check for, I do check for food sensitivities. You know, I definitely I think there are some foods that are bad for everyone, but I think there's not one diet that everyone needs to follow. You know, some people I take off gluten, some people I don't take off gluten, some people I take off dairy, some I don't, some caffeine, etc. So I check for food sensitivities on people. I also check for infections. I mean, everyone has some type of microbial imbalance in their gut that could be bacterial, parasitic, fungal or candida, Lyme disease, um, all different types of infections can be going on. 
I check for chemical sensitivities. I check for hormone imbalances. I check for heavy metal toxicity. All of those types of things we evaluate on people. And then, you know, you could have 10 people coming in with a GI issue. And every single person, even if it's the same symptoms, I guarantee every single person is going to get a different plan, meaning different foods they have to avoid, different um, supplements to take, different instructions, because the body is so unique and every person is different. And so we basically try to find out what specifically their body has going on and treat those issues. And then it's amazing the results you can get. Yeah. And with food sensitivities, do those ever change? Because when I first was diagnosed, I was diagnosed with Hashimoto's at like 19 years old and, you know, got in love with thyroxine, the whole nine yards. And then I went mm-hmm. to um, a functional medicine person. And I mean, I basically couldn't eat anything. Like I was reactive to everything mm-hmm. and I was I was eating like a rabbit for a long time. And this was also, again, when the whole vegan thing was like super popular. And but now I've brought in dairy back in like raw dairy and I feel great on it. You know, I've even brought in some gluten things in, which I feel like for thyroid people is like, no, no, no gluten. And so do you think you can heal food sensitivities? A hundred percent. I mean, not everyone can heal everything. You know, whenever I see someone, my first goal is to get them feeling better. So I say, you need to avoid all these foods, you need to take these supplements, and my goal is to get them feeling better. Then once you're feeling better, it's, okay, can we stop the supplements and can we add the foods back in? You know, with foods like gluten or dairy or nightshades, um, those honestly, it's maybe 50-50. Some people, if you avoid them, which will lower inflammation in the gut, if you kill off the bad microbes that are in the body, the fungi, the candida, the bacteria, the parasites, if you kill those off and allow the gut to heal, sometimes it's just basically aligning those tight junctions in the gut and then you're able to eat the foods again and you feel great and have no issues. Other times, people can't add the foods back in. Usually it's kind of a mix of you might be able to add in most of the foods, but not all of them. So it does vary You know, I have had a couple people that have to eat extremely strict the rest of their life, but they feel 100% better than if they didn't. Mm -hmm. And then other people, I work with them for a month, they feel great, and they can go back to eating, you know, whatever they want, assuming it's healthy, you know, whole food based, let's say. Totally. Yeah, everyone is so bio-individual. You know, I have a lot of questions about mold specifically for you, but I do kind of want to touch on the thyroid because I have a lot of people who always ask me about thyroid because it's a huge part of my story. Um, And people want to know, and I'm not qualified to share, how can you actually heal your thyroid? How can you get off levothyroxine? I've been off levothyroxine for six years. And when people say, how did you do it? I'm like, it's a culmination of a bunch of things, but I'm not qualified to share. What what would be your response to that? I mean, part of it is, again, everyone's different. Um, You know, For people that have been on thyroid medication for less than two years, it's like super, super easy to get them off it. You know, my goal, you know, when someone comes in, they're not feeling good and their labs are off. So my goal is to get them feeling better, get their labs off, and then they can talk to their doc and say, hey, I'm feeling good. My labs are off. Can I go off it? And then usually they can. You might have to make a couple tweaks as they go off. Not that hard. For people that have been on thyroid medication for years and years, sometimes you can still get them off it, but it is much harder because, you know, it's kind of like if you take testosterone a lot, your body stops producing it. So it can be a little hard with as time goes on. Um, With that being said, with thyroid, I mean, foods are a huge thing. Obviously, with like Hashimoto's, there's tons of research about how gluten can affect and cause Hashimoto antibodies. Um, I've seen nightshades. Those are a very big. So nightshades consist of tomatoes, potatoes, eggplant, paprika, peppers, ashwagandha, goji berries. And those honestly weren't part of the diet in most cultures until the past 100, 150 years or so. And they have a toxin called alpha-solanine, which can really target the thyroid gland, especially in Hashimoto cases. So that can be, be a big driver of inflammation in the thyroid gland. So again, avoiding food sensitivities is very, very big. There's also lots and lots of research of infections affecting the thyroid gland, especially mold or fungal issues. Those can be a huge one. So again, avoiding and dealing with those. Um, also, sometimes it can be, I mean, there's different herbs out there that can be thyroid healing, like sumaroot and some others like that. Or for people that aren't 
nightshade sensitive, ashwagandha, or even bacopa. Um, but then also there's some amino acids which can really help the thyroid glands like L-tyrosine. Um, that's something that's basically thyroid um, hormone is made out of. And then also in some people, you do have avoiding goitrogenic foods. That's your cabbage, your kale, your different um, things like that, your cruciferous veggies. So, you know, if you avoid the stressors, so again, treating infections, avoiding foods that are stressing the thyroid gland, and sometimes supplement to give it more nutrients, the thyroid gland can heal and start to work on its own. I mean, I've gotten TSH levels to drop from like a nine to a two in a month or two before. I've gotten, I mean, Hashimoto antibodies do take time just because their half-life is really long, but you know, six months, nine months, I've gotten those back to normal. It's generally not that hard, but it does take a lot of compliance by the patient dedication in terms of diet and things like that. 100%. Other than diet, have you worked with things like sunlight, grounding, other things like that and notice a difference in your practice? I mean, you know, that's a hard, it's a really hard one to say. The way that I look at health and what my dad always teaches people is total load. So if you have a cup and basically when you start to have symptoms, so you might have emotional stress. And then, so if we have some emotional stress and then we have some food stress of things we're eating, we have chemicals that we're exposed to, we have um, heavy metals we're exposed to. So all of these types of things start to create stress. And then when we get to the top of the cup, it flows over and that's when we start to have symptoms. Our body can't keep up anymore. So then, you know, doing things like treating um, or avoiding food sensitivities, that's going to bring you lower down so you're less likely to have symptoms. So sunlight, sunlight will give you, um, I mean, it's full spectrum multivitamin, basically. It's going to increase vitamin D, which vitamin D levels are directly associated with Hashimoto's and with thyroid issues. Grounding, you get a lot of negative ions. It's really beneficial. You know, I've never used those solely, but there's something I definitely encourage all my patients to get more sunshine, especially without sunscreen on, you know, walking barefoot types of things. So I think those are all, in my mind, they're smaller, but they're very important for overall health, if that makes sense. Totally. And I think it's interesting. They're probably smaller because that's something people on Maui, which you're located, does a lot more. So when we lived on Oahu, you know, I'm grounded and getting sun every single day. My thyroid was awesome. We moved to the Pacific Northwest and it was like just this slow decline. And we've been, we moved back to California. We've been back in California for months now. And within one month, my levels were back to normal again. So I'm like, I personally know that it makes a difference, but I know I, I was the healthiest I could be when I lived in, <laughs> when I lived in the sunshine and was at the ocean all the time. I mean, nature is, is so healing. 100%. I mean, I think that is all very important. Sometimes I take it for granted because it's just part of my natural lifestyle, but um, definitely very, very important. Totally. Okay. Let's talk about mold toxicity because that's how I originally heard about you. A friend of mine from Maui said, Hey, you should interview this natural doctor. He's helped a lot of my friends with mold. And I feel like the whole quote, you know, mold toxicity is a very trending topic right now. Um, but a lot of people don't know what it is and can, they have a lot of questions about it. So what is mold toxicity and how do you see it in your practice? So mold toxicity, in my opinion, is after diet, mold toxicity is probably the number one cause of many chronic health issues and symptoms that I see in my practice. Dealing, I don't ever like to take anything out of context, but mold, in my opinion, is probably the number one driver of health issues. Um, so mold sometimes is visible. You can see it growing on walls and things like that. A lot of the times it's not visible, but when you breathe mold in, it will start to colonize in the body. So mold is a type of fungus. And then you breathe it in and it starts to grow. The ways, other ways that you are exposed, um, again, breathing it in, that could be your house, that could be your school, your place of worship, it can be on vacation. Also, you can get it by um, any type of interaction, let's just say even kissing, you can pass back and forth infections that way. So I'll know people like, oh, I got in a new relationship and then my health declined. So it can be from that. Um, but basically, mold will start to grow. I mean, candida is probably the most commonly talked about type of fungal issue. I don't really care if someone has candida, if someone has another type of fungal issue. It doesn't really matter in my opinion. Candida just has the most press out there. Basically, it'll start to colonize in the gut. 
when it does that, it'll start to produce, it's basically like having a Monsanto plant inside, or I should say a DuPont plant inside your body. It produces benzene, it produces acid aldehydes. Those are then gonna stress your liver. So a lot of the times when people say they have like a stressed out liver or liver dysfunction, that can be secondary to a fungal issue. Um, a lot of hormone imbalances. So your liver breaks down estrogen. A lot of people nowadays have high estrogen symptoms. And the way to correct that isn't just to support the liver, but it's actually to why is the liver stressed in the first place? Let's deal with the fungal issue. Then the liver is able to actually break down the estrogen properly, and then the hormone issues actually will normalize. Um, fungus mm -hmm. will also interfere with thyroid hormone from binding. So a lot of the times you will have people that will correct thyroid issues by dealing with fungal issues. Um, and it's interesting with fungal issues. I mean, they've been going on for thousands of years. If you look back in the book of Leviticus, my dad actually wrote a book about this, um, God's Preventative Medicine. And he talked in the book of Leviticus, it talks about different things growing in the buildings of the Israelites' houses. And if it was shown that way, then basically you had to leave the building, quarantine it, and sometimes the buildings had to be destructed or destroyed. Um, and we believe that was actually mold growing on the buildings. So many people I've seen either moving out of their house and or treating their house to get rid of the mold and their health issues have really increased. Um, and I know I get asked a lot about, you know, with candida and mold, it's honestly probably 70, 75% of my patients show up with it. So very common. And it's honestly not that hard to treat in most places, as long as your spouse doesn't have it. And as long as your house doesn't have it. Um, most people I can clear symptomatically, and at least with my kinesiology muscle testing, in three to six weeks is most common. Again, assuming they're not being re-exposed. If you starve it via diet, you avoid inflammatory foods that people are eating so their body can focus and their immune system is really primed. And then usually I'll be using herbs that'll help support the immune system and that have antifungal properties. And if you do those, people can really notice significant changes fast. Wow. I want to go into, you know, all the things that you recommend. But first, do you feel like, I mean, obviously mold has been around forever and, you know, we're seeing, you know, is an issue in the Bible times, but I feel like now than more than ever, like you said, everyone has it. Do you think that it's because we're kind of hit by so many things? We have such a huge toxin overload. People are getting sick by mold. Does mold affect people differently? Like, why is everyone getting sick with it right now? You know, it's a very good question. I mean, 100% people are sicker than they used to. People's immune systems are way worse than they used to be. That is definitely a reason. Um, I mean, I think part of it does also, depending on, you know, how we live in terms of houses, how they're built, locations that they live, things like that. Um, you know, people that were more nomadic back in the day, more open airflow, things like that, versus now you have um, tighter houses, different things like that. Um, also, I think because of in addition, you know, like I said, weaker immune systems, our diet, I mean, I forget the most recent stats, but doesn't like the average person consume, is it 50 pounds of sugar a year or 70 pounds of sugar a year, something ridiculous like that. Versus if you go back 100 years, I think it was like two pounds of sugar a year. And then if you go back by that, it was nothing, you know, it was fruit and honey, maybe. So I think diet plays a huge role. I think decreased immune system as a whole. But you know, I think it has always caused issues again for centuries, but it definitely is much more prevalent now for many reasons. Yeah. And candida specifically, does all mold feel, feed off sugar or is I've heard of candida is like that eats sugar, but does, you, does all mold feed off of that? I can't, I'm not going to say a hundred percent, but as a general rule, yes. So, you know, if someone shows up on any type of fungal issue, in addition to having them avoid inflammatory foods, I am going to put them on what I call a fungal diet. So fungal diet, I'm taking people off what I say, the good and the bad sweeteners. So no sugar, no corn syrup, but then also no honey, no maple syrup, things like so that. that are good Temporarily, believe me, I love my honey, but you know, it might be four weeks again, completely avoid it. I also have people avoid fruit juice and dried fruit, and then also avoid mold fermented products. They're not necessarily unhealthy, but while dealing with a fungal issue, no kombucha, no vinegar, no tempeh, no different things like that, while we're trying to 
deal with it. So basically we're trying to starve the fungal issue while we're trying to attack it at the same time. And with candida and, you know, some people with candida have outward signs, you know, you can have yeast infections, other people that, you know, you can have ringworm, you can have toenail fungus, things like that. But a lot of the symptoms are inward that we're dealing with also. If someone's coming with you with like digestive upset, like bloating, would that be first thing like that's candida or could it be other things too? Um, could be a lot of different things. I mean, the one thing is, again, I never want to take anything out of context. So, you know, some people when this bloating, you can narrow it down. Okay, it's only after they eat dairy or it's only after they eat wheat or something like that. And it's a little more obvious. But then other people, it's like, it doesn't matter what I eat, but I bloat. So then, I mean, it could theoretically be bacterial. It definitely could be parasitic, but fungal's top of my list. But the one thing my dad has always stressed and I 100% believe in is trying to address as many different factors at once. Because let's say you have a parasite and let's say you have a fungi growing in your gut. Let's say you just kill the fungus. Then the parasite almost looks around and says, ooh, open real estate, let's grow. And you're, so you might get rid of a fungal issue, but then you get a parasitic issue instead because the parasite's multiplying rapidly. So when I'm addressing people, I want to see, do they have a fungal issue? Do they have a parasitic issue? Do they have a bacterial issue? And I want to try to work with the body on all of those aspects at once. So I really do believe that when addressing so many different things at once, people really get better faster. Um, you know, a lot of times people are like, oh, I gave up gluten and it didn't help. So then I tried dairy and it didn't help. Then I tried nightshades. It didn't help. A lot of the times, like A, B, if A doesn't work, B doesn't work, and C doesn't work, you almost have to do all three together then to get the symptoms because, again, you're lowering the total load in the body enough so then healing can really start. Mm -hmm. So you're really just like a detective trying to figure out what's causing this upset in the body, removing that, and then letting the body heal itself. Am I hearing you right? 100%. Hundred, you, you put it perfectly. That's and it's and that's what I love about natural medicine. It's this innate belief that we have what it takes that our bodies are meant to heal, and we just have to put it in the right environment to to let it heal. So, what is your protocol? You said you kind of go into this whole lifestyle thing. Other than so, you, what I'm like my audience. I want to get very specific for them. What are the inflammatory foods like? What someone comes in, you you test them. They're like, hey, you got mold, candida, or whatever. What do you do for them? So, like you said, I mean, you know, some of the big foods that I find a lot of people are nightshades or caffeine and chocolate, dairy, gluten, corn. You know, I evaluate people on all of those, and I take them off which specifically show up. You know, so for people that. I'm not testing in person, I tend to be a little bit stricter on diet and I'm like, okay, I'm sorry, but I want you to avoid all of these just so we don't miss something. So basically we're avoiding a lot of different foods. I mean, a lot of people, if I am working with them remotely, I more put them on like an animal-based diet, some more meat, fruit, some low inflammatory veggies, some white rice, some sweet potatoes, some things like that. Um, And then a fungal diet if necessary, if I feel. So we're addressing diet. You know, in terms of how to help the body overcome infections. You know, in my office, let's say for a fungal issue, I probably have 30 or 40 different things that I've used on different patients to help with a fungal issue. Um, And for me personally, that's one thing with applied kinesiology and muscle testing is it allows me to figure out what specifically the body needs. You know, I might have three herbs that I use 70% of the time. But then in the 30% of other people, those herbs aren't going to work because of bio-individuality. Every person is unique. Every person is different. And, you know, just because this person had the same symptoms as me and that herb worked for them, it doesn't mean it's going to work for me. Or just like an herb that worked for me now isn't necessarily going to work in five years. So I muscle test the people and find out specifically what herbs their body needs to, again, boost immune system, assisting in detox, herbs that have antimicrobial properties. So, you know, like the most common ones I use in people are Malia, which is neem leaf. That's probably the strongest herb that I use in practice, and I love it. Um, Golden thread is another one that I use. Um, Chinese coptis. And probably another is Mirinda, which is noni. Um, And the cool thing about herbs is they're very broad spectrum. So like I mentioned, you know, you don't just want to attack 
just the parasite or just the fungus. You want to try to address as many different things as once. I mean, if you ask my dad, what's his favorite antifungal herb? He would say Malia, neem leaf. If you asked him what his favorite antiparasitic herb, he'd say Malia, neem leaf. If you asked him what his favorite antibacterial, depending on the day, he might say Malia, he might say Mirinda, might say Golden Thread. You know, it varies. So God made herbs that are very broad spectrum and they're very strong. I mean, it's cool if you look in the animal kingdom, animals, when they are ill, go and eat certain plants that they don't when they are healthy. And it's like God gave them some innate intelligence to know, okay, I'm not feeling well, this is what I go eat. And we don't necessarily know that nowadays. Um, you know, one other thing, just thinking back, you asked about why people, let's say, have more mold issues or sicker now. If you look at a lot of cultures, most cultures, more so than we have here, they have built-in antimicrobials as part of their diet. So if you look at um, Thailand, they had lemongrass in a lot of things. Lemongrass is an amazing anti-parasitic. If you look in Japanese, sushi. Two things that always come with sushi, ginger and wasabi. In the U.S., we get ginger and wasabi, but our ginger is soaked in red food dye and sugar, and our wasabi is horseradish with green food dye. Not the same thing. You know, so if you look at a lot of cultures, they have, I mean, you could kind of say we have garlic and onion built in, but cultures used to have a lot more antimicrobials built into their diet, which we have lost a lot nowadays. And I think that's also why we become more ill. I think too, like well, when I moved, when I lived on Oahu, um, one of my friends was Brazilian and she just grew up always doing a parasite cleanse like twice a year. She just did that as a child. That's just what they did in their culture. And we just don't, we just don't do that. We just haven't learned that information. Um, how did you, I mean, I know that you went to school and like your dad, but how did you learn about all of these different herbs for someone who wants to learn more? They're like, I don't know what the, what he's talking about, how I really like to equip people to be their own, you know, to be their own investigator. What, how can people start learning about this stuff? That is a great question. Um, I mean, you know, in our office, we have probably 15 different like thick textbooks on Chinese verbs, on Ayurvedic herbs, on African herbs, on Hawaiian herbs, all that type of stuff. I don't recommend you reading all of those by any means. Um, you know, doctor, there's, there's some d good resources out there. There's also a lot of junk resources out there. Um, I will say on the Supreme Nutrition Products Instagram and YouTube, we do a lot of videos talking about different herbs and we try to make them very short and straight to the point for people to understand, not just for doctors, but for anyone listening. Um, for Supreme Nutrition Products, also there's a book called Clinical Indications or Key Indications, and it's kind of like a cheat sheet of herbs and what you would use them for. So that's just like if you just want a little bit kind of a short go through and it talks about the herbs. Um, so those are kind of some plates, some free resources that I say are great to start, you know, unless you really want to go down the rabbit hole. And then I'd say, contact me. I just take a picture of our bookcase, but that's again, a that's some thick books that'll put most people to sleep. Yeah, not me. I'm like before bed, like learning all the things. <laughs> I think it's just so, so fascinating. Okay. So let's talk to the person who can't Either they don't live on Maui, they can't afford a natural doctor because unfortunately they're not covered by insurance, which is so sad. What is something that like the average person listening is like, you know what, I'm not feeling very well. I have digestive upset or constant sinus infections or I'm getting sick constantly. What are some simple things they can do to start lessening that load on their body and start healing? Great question. Um, I mean, the simplest thing anyone can do is change their diet. That's the simplest thing by far. I mean, first thing is cutting out the chemicals and processed junk. You know, if you can't pronounce it, I mean, if it's a word like jicama kohlrabi, okay. But if you can't pronounce it and you don't know what it is, don't eat it. That's the simplest thing. Um, you know, read labels in terms of sugar. It's amazing when you take people off sugar and they're like, oh, I don't eat sugar. And then they go home and then they read the labels of everything they eat and they're like, oh, I eat a lot more sugar than I thought. Um, you know, I do think as a whole, again, cutting those out, I do think for people cutting down their starch and um, grain intake is in very beneficial. You know, I think if you do some white rice for a lot of people doing some quinoa, doing some millet, doing some buckwheat's fine, but definitely cutting down dramatically the amount of grains that you eat, increasing fruits, increasing meat. 
I think that's all really beneficial. Ideally, cutting out your caffeine if you're able to, that's also a big stress on the body. Diet is huge right away. Um, you know, again, checking for any type of mold, I think is big. You know, some people I'll recommend, you know, take a couple herbs while doing a fungal diet and eating less inflammatory, and that could be really beneficial. Um, there's a cheap way. It's not perfect by any means, but you can check for mold in your house. There's a company, Immunolytics, and you can order basically little Petri dishes from them. I think it's like 30 some bucks if you want to send it off to get cultured by them. Or literally, you can follow their instructions. Plates are three bucks a piece. You can put them in a few different rooms and see what grows, basically. And you might not know what is growing, but, you know, if you have one or two colonies, no big deal. If you grow your Petri dish for a week and there's 30 different mold colonies, you probably have a mold issue in your house and it needs to be addressed. So that's kind of a cheap, easy way that people can at least, it's not perfect, but it's the best cheap way out there to kind of check things. Um, and then if so, dealing with mold in their house. But again, cutting back inflammatory foods, that's huge, cutting out the processed foods. And then, you know, kind of like you mentioned, if people are having health issues, you know, doing some type of parasitic or some type of fungal cleanse can be really beneficial. Um, and a lot of the same herbs that I use, there's a lot of overlap, you know, I don't like people to take a ton of supplements. Average person I see, I put on three to five things, and ideally they're not on them for more than a bottle or two. Um, you know, I have so many patients come in with 30, 40 supplements, and I take them off 30 to 40 supplements. And, you know, one, I'm saving them so much money, but I think people over-supplement. If you can get rid of any parasites or fungus in the gut, you're going to optimize your absorption. So you're going to get better nutrients from your food, if you're eating less inflammatory foods, that's also going to increase absorption. If you're eating less anti-nutrients by cutting out things like nightshades, by cutting out grains or cutting down grains, um, you know, doing those types of things, you're really going to maximize your absorption and then you should need less nutrients. So by doing these, you're actually going to make yourself healthier and also make it so you need less nutrients long term. I love that. Yeah. And I think too... I think, yeah, we should be getting our nutrients from food. That's how our body is meant to absorb it. And I definitely have gone down the rabbit hole of taking too many supplements. And it actually made me feel worse because my body was like, I'm on overload. What am I getting? You know, it's it was not good. So I think I love that message. Going back to the Petri dish thing, which... I wanted to ask you this because, I mean, probably if someone's listening and they're just hearing about mold, they're like, oh my gosh, I got mold in my bathtub or, you know, things like that. Is there like a, not not like a kind of mold that's good, but the kind of mold that it's like, okay, we just clean it up versus like, I have to move houses. Because I mean, mold is everywhere, right? At some point you can't totally avoid it. Is Am I wrong? No, 100%. I mean, definitely living certain places, you're going to have a lot more mold than others. Living in the Pacific Northwest, living on Maui, a lot more mold than living in... Colorado or Utah or Arizona, places like that. But I have still seen moldy places in those areas. Um, you know, sometimes, okay, there's a little bit of mold in the shower. You can clean it up. Not a big deal. That doesn't worry me too much. If there's mold on the ceiling, mold on windowsills, mold on baseboards, different things like that, mold on clothes, you know, usually what I have people do is clean it up very well. Only time I recommend wearing a mask, put on a mask, put on some gloves, wipe it down with like some tea tree, cedarwood, essential oils, things like that, and clean it up. And then see if it comes back. If it comes back, you definitely do have an issue going on. Um, you know, I mean, that is one thing depending on a person. You could have three different people living in a moldy house, and one person it might affect really badly, one person it won't affect at all, one person it might affect a little bit. So it kind of depends on what you are susceptible to. But ideally, you want to keep the mold none if possible. I mean, sometimes I'll have people um, run an essential oil diffuser in their bedrooms, cedarwood tea tree. It's not going to get rid of the mold, but at least it'll lower the count. Um, one thing I've had great results with for people with mold in their house is using an ozone generator. Um, they're like $80 on Amazon. Um, they do not ship to California, but you can get them off eBay. That's kind of a workaround. Um, Weird environmental law but ozone it's not something you want to breathe in if you breathe it in it's going to screw you up and give you a lot of health issues please don't do that but like 
living on Maui, when we wake up, even with dehumidifiers, it can be 50-60% humidity. So I kind of basically keep an ozonator going around the house once a week, every other week. And basically I'll put in a room, turn it on for like my kid's bedroom. They woke up, I put in my son's room, turned it on for three hours, closed the door. Then what I did is once it was off, I opened the door, opened the window, let it air out for an hour, then totally safe to go in after that. You know, if you breathe it in for a minute, no big deal. We don't want to be in it while it's running. Ozone, it will kill mold. It's not going to kill mold like deep behind the drywalls, in the studs, things like that. But superficial mold, it does a great job with. I mean, I've had hundreds of people where it's gotten them so they can get over their fungal issues and they don't keep recurring. And it's like an $80 investment versus remediation, which can be tens of thousands of dollars and doesn't always work. I mean, ozone doesn't always work, but I've seen it work amazing. And for the price, if you do have any mold, I highly recommend it. That's a really good option because, yeah, I think a lot of people are like they almost are like, I don't even want to go down the rabbit hole of mold because what if I discover I have it, I have to move like that's that's overwhelming. That's why I haven't really researched mold because I was like, I don't want to know because I I know I'd go down that rabbit hole and feel like, you know, I'd have to move, which, you know, sometimes you probably do. But I think what we're talking about is it seems to me that everyone at is dealing with this at some level. And so just mitigating how much it's affecting you is probably the goal, right? Definitely. I mean, I've had, I can think of five or six people that I've had to actually over the years that have had to move out of their house to get over a fungal issue. It's not super common, but it definitely can happen. Um, treating the house again, I've seen work extremely well in many cases. Um, but I definitely have had people, you know, it's like, oh, I moved into my house and then two months, two months later, I started to get all these respiratory issues or I gained 15 pounds. It's not uncommon for people that have a fungal issue to not be able to lose weight, even when doing everything correctly. So, I mean, it's, it's not uncommon for when treating a fungal issue, a person to drop 10 to 15 pounds in three weeks, not uncommon whatsoever. That is fascinating. And why, why is that? I think part of it is it increases water retention in the body. And also I think because it interferes with thyroid hormone function. Um, here's a case myself. Um, when I went to chiropractic school, I was 170 pounds, really good muscle. Didn't work out much, didn't eat the best. Year in, I was 180 pounds without muscle. Not where I wanted to be. So I'm like, okay, time to get back in shape. Started working out, running, lifting weights, eating really, really clean. I think in like six weeks, I dropped a pound and I was not converting the fat to muscle, believe me. So it was very frustrating. So then I was in Dallas. I went and saw a doctor there that my dad had trained and I was already on basically a fungal diet. I was off all sugar, but he found the right, he found a fungus. He gave me an herb. I believe it was Mirinda. And in the next two weeks, I dropped 10 pounds. Um, and that's not uncommon when you're doing things right and not losing weight. Fungal issues can be really, really key. Also the fungal issues because of how they're going to mess up your hormones that's also so the thyroid component, the hormone component, and water retention, all of those. Wow, that is super fascinating and actually makes a ton of sense for me personally, too. When I was in Washington, we lived in a hundred year house, definitely mold situation. My thyroid issues were back. I was, you know, gained some weight, not like crazy, how people wouldn't probably notice, but I noticed it. And then I moved to California and it's just like gone. That's so fascinating. Is Do you think the body, like obviously herbs and the diet play such a huge part, but do you think also the body can kind of kick into healing mode without those things? Like me moving, changing my environment, moving to a new state? It depends on the, that's a great question. I was going to address that. I think it depends on the person. You know, some people, they move out of a moldy house and they feel 100% better. I see that all the time. But then I also have a lot of people that message me like, yeah, I moved into mold. I got all these symptoms and then I moved out and I still have the symptoms. And that's when you definitely mm -hmm. need to treat it via diet, via supplementation, that type of thing. So I do see it goes both ways. A lot of people do need treatment to some degree. But, you know, if you are doing everything right and healthy besides the mold in the house, then a lot of the times if you move out, it, your body can clear it up. I mean, we have really great immune systems if we just remove all the junk. So it does go both ways. Totally. So fascinating. This was such a fascinating conversation. Thank you so much. Do you, if, if someone wants to ask you more or get in contact with you, do you take remote clients or how, do, how does that work? 
I'll be honest, I generally don't take remote clients. I think I've taken like one or two over the past three years. Um, I'm honestly just too busy with in-person patients, but people can come out to Maui. But a cool thing is, so, I mean, my dad's been teaching his protocol and technique since I believe 1987 is when he first started teaching, which is the year I was born. So he has a pretty big referral network of doctors that he has trained. Um, like I think I just put up on Instagram, ask me for a referral. And I think I've had like 150 requests so far. So people, wow. if they want to email me, I'm more than happy to give a referral close to them. Ideally, I can someone that we have personally trained. I don't just look on the list and say, oh, go see this person. So if people are interested in this type of work, I'd love to give out referrals and make connections. Um, or for people that live in the middle of nowhere. I Well, I don't generally see remote patients. I have a couple friends that do that I trust. So, you know, some people that they can definitely work with. Thank you so much because I want to be able, you know, for people who are listening who are like, I need more help. I want... I, this is why this podcast is out. I want people to hear different voices that they're not hearing all the time and be able to be like, yes, there is help for you if you're with whatever you're dealing with. So thank you. Okay. Is there, before we get to rapid fire, is there anything I didn't ask you or things you wanted to clarify? Anything else you feel like we should cover? No, I think just that last point you said about, you know, giving people hope and, you know, I love it when patients come to me and I'm the first person that they've seen for a health issue, but that's rarely the case. You know, I've had people that have spent tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of dollars, they've seen 40, 50 docs, and then it's like we almost take a simpler approach and they get better. So just because you've tried a lot of things before that might sound similar, they're not necessarily. So, you know, still keep hope that you can get better. Mm, yes. I, yes, you can get better. You will get better. Um, I'm a huge believer in that. Okay, so I'm just going to do a couple rapid fire and then we will um, wrap up. But these are just some fun questions, nosy questions I like to know about the people I interview. Um, first one is, what did you eat for breakfast this morning? I had 100% grass-fed A2 kefir from Alexandre Farms with a local dragon fruit. Wow. Do you just like drink the kefir just whole you by know, itself? Um. Usually I use yogurt, but I had kefir today. So I just spooned the dragon fruit, the pitaya into a bowl, poured the kefir on it and ate it like yogurt. Yesterday I had okay. some with a little maple syrup and I drank it. So depends on the day. Yeah, I, I love that. You don't have, do you have raw dairy in Maui? Um, legally, no. Okay. Got <laughs> yes, it. Though. Yes. <laughs> okay. Uh, um, okay. So this is normally geared towards woman but what maybe we could just do self-care it's norm it's what is your current favorite beauty product what would you say is your favorite current self-care product um you know i bought this for my wife and i've been using it um it is i think the van people brand and they make a beef tallow balm that's like mm. beef tallow and i think a little bit of beeswax and it's really cool Ooh, I've had beef. I love beef tall, tallow balm, but I've never tried it with the beeswax. That's interesting. You know, I like straight beef. I like straight beef tallow. I've used that also. This one is a little bit thicker, I would say, slightly less greasy, but I like both. That's just what I've been using lately. Cool. Okay, what is one piece of advice that you want the future, your future generations, you know, your kids, your grandkids, to remember you by? If they, you know, if they're like grandpa Noah, he always, he taught me this and this is, this stuck with me. What is that one piece of advice you'd want? Um, don't be afraid to go against the grain and don't just do what everyone else is doing because if you look society in pretty much every aspect, it's not going well. <laughs> that is probably the best response I've had so far. That is so, so wise and so true. Okay, what is your easy go-to dinner? So it's like been a long day. You don't, you know, you and your wife don't want to cook. You just want to get something on the table, but you want it to be healthy. What's your go-to? Um, for me personally, it's going to be beef, either um, burgers or steak, and then either rice or plantains cooked in a pan with some coconut oil and honey or some watermelon. Okay. Will you just do like ground beef and rice 
or steak uh, and rice? Sometimes. Oh, yes. I mean, a lot of some meals, I've done more of a carnivore-ish diet lately. So I definitely have meals that are just straight um, beef and nothing else. So just a giant steak, maybe with some butter on top. Not recommending that for everyone, but that's what I've been doing a lot more lately. It's like a lot of the times the kids will have rice and I might not have rice. Just depends on my mood, depends on how active I've been, um, you know, but that's kind of a quick, easy, or like for the kids the other day, my wife wasn't feeling good. I made burgers, steak, and purple sweet potatoes. So mm. nice and simple. Yes. Oh, the purple sweet potatoes from Hawaii, they're yeah. nothing, I mean, nothing like them. And one other thing really easy, sometimes I do stir fry. And I've been on a less vegetable kick lately. So basically I'll do like ground beef and then I'll either do like zucchini or like the little yellow squash, which are technically a fruit. And then maybe like some coconut aminos on them and like mm. stir fry that up. I love stir fries. Super easy, super fast to make. I like no prep time. I love, that's a good idea. And you don't even need butter or anything because you have the fat from the beef. So you just do the exactly. beef and the vegetable. Usually, yeah. I mean, sometimes if I cook the veggies first, I might add like a little butter or a little beef tallow. But usually if you do the beef first, you get all the fat, don't need anything. And generally, you know, I'm getting like 80-20 or 75-25, so definitely fattier ground beef. Oh, that sounds good. I'm going to do that. Okay, the last question is if you could only do one thing for your wellness, what would it be? Ooh. I mean, can I just say eat healthy? Yeah, yeah. Eat healthy. I mean, I think I like the that. biggest thing that you can control is diet. So, I mean, I could go in depth of what does that mean, but in my mind is eating healthy is the best, most important thing you can do for your diet because if you don't eat well, everything else is going to fall apart. Mm. Yes, so true. And maybe just touch on quickly, even though we're supposed to be wrapping up, because you said you grew up very vegetarian and now you're very carnivore. And would you say eat healthy could be both of those things or what in your perspective is eat healthy now? Great question. I mean, you know, I definitely do think meat is healthy and I think pretty much everyone should eat meat, but I do have a lot of vegetarians that are very healthy. If you have vegetarians that do it correctly, you know, they don't just eat processed junk and eat a lot of sugar. If you do have vegetarians that, you know, eat good low inflammatory vegetables, eat fruit, pressure cook beans, which will lower the lectins, you know, sprout grains, different things like that. If people are eating vegetarian and they are feeling well, I have no issue with it. I really don't. If they're not feeling well, let's try something else. Um, mm -hmm. But as a whole, you know, what I preach to a lot of people is prioritizing meat, prioritizing fruit, and then low inflammatory grains or veggies if you want white rice, sweet potato, um, different things like that. That's, yeah, that's good. And so pretty much whole food based. 100%. 100%. Whole food is the first best step everyone needs to make. Totally agree. Thank you so much for hopping on today. Um, there's just so much information. I feel like I was wanting to take notes the whole time. So I'm going to be going back and taking notes from this information. Um, I appreciate your time so much. Um, thanks for being on. We'll put all your, you know, your links and everything in the show notes if people want to hear more from you. But yeah, everyone listening should definitely go follow you because you post a lot of free good information on your Instagram. And so um, thank you for sharing all of that. Thank you. This is a lot of fun. Thank you so much for listening to season one of my podcast. It has been such a joy and honor to go deep with you in so many topics near and dear to my heart. We're taking just a short break and then we'll be back real soon. If you haven't listened to every episode from season one yet, go back and listen. There are so many gold nuggets in each episode. Also, your rating and review would mean the world to me. Thank you so much and we'll chat real soon.